then I had this changed version of myself and I didn't know what to do with her. I didn't know who she was anymore because it just looked exactly like me, but not like me at and all. And we also write it off as something that happens to old women or old people. So we end up in this funny situation with incontinence where we don't actually talk about the reality at all. And I think it can therefore be un unnervingly shocking for young mums particularly if they emerge from childbirth and they're leaking. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. She asks about my recent experience giving birth and I recite the highlights like a poem learned from school. I can drill down to the key information that medical types want. First baby, first pregnancy, two term, live birth, spontaneous vaginal delivery, no previous incontinence. Next, she asks for a list of things that make me leak. My first incontinence homework. I begin. Walking, running, stretching, coughing, sneezing, lifting up a baby, farting, shouting, crying, standing up, long strides, buses, exercises, stairs, and the list goes on. This is the beginning of Luce Brett's book, PMSL, or how I literally pissed myself and survived the last taboo to tell the tale. Today we interview Luce on her postpartum incontinence journey, a life chapter shrouded in embarrassment, sadness, itchy wetness, and bewilderment during a time she had expected to feel elated, joyful, and deeply in love with motherhood and her baby. With one in three women experiencing bladder weakness and urinary leakage, this topic is as important as it is taboo. Luce's story is both funny and factual, raw and heartfelt, and something all women can benefit from hearing, if not for themselves, then for someone they love. Thanks for having me. I'm really thrilled to be on the, on the pod. I think what was interesting for me about my first birth is it was quite a difficult labour and quite traumatic although on paper it probably wasn't so it was described as normal and spontaneous vaginal delivery and all those sorts of things but if I thought back to it um, after it happened I couldn't really remember much about the birth outside sort of quite grisly snapshots and these sort of brief moments of for example feeling alone or feeling afraid but what I could remember most viscerally and vividly was what happened just after I gave, gave birth when I had my first shower and I remember thinking why have they put a mirror in the shower because that's the cruelest thing I've ever I've ever <laughs> thought of and there I was this sort of like monument to brokenness with uh, blood and stretch marks and a deflated belly which I didn't know that you still had a tummy and all those things and like fresh stitches and I was also standing in a puddle of wee and um, that image kind of stuck with me for a long time because it sort of became the emblem, if you like, of, of how I thought about my birth. So I had this normal delivery that was quite unpleasant for me because there weren't many people around. People weren't calling me by my name. It went on for a long time and I talked quite badly. And then I had this changed version of myself and I didn't know what to do with her. I didn't know who she was anymore because it just looked exactly like me, but not like me at all. And that's partly to do with things like birth trauma and postnatal depression but it's also does connect with why I ended up you know 10 years later writing a book about post-birth incompetence because 
I think it's kind of the, the, the taboo start with our lack of knowledge, lack of awareness, lack of proper talking about what childbirth's really like for many women. Um, the fact that birth stories are condensed or made frizzly or entertaining that, you know, I could tell my birth story now to you as a hilarious joke. And, you know, I could say, uh, normally I people buy me a drink before they touch me there or whatever. But in reality, especially as someone who hadn't had a, that nice a birth, my story wasn't represented. It wasn't in the books. People didn't talk about what happens when you um, look at your baby and then throw up because you've just given birth and all those sorts of things. So I, I think, yeah, my, so my first birth didn't end brilliantly uh, in that sense of my sense of myself. It ended brilliantly with my brilliant baby. But yeah, it kick-started this kind of odyssey. And I call it like an incontinence odyssey because it was largely down to the damage from that birth that started me on this medical train, which took me to all these places that I didn't even know existed. And if I think back to her standing before the mirror, I can barely remember any her before that. And before that me was this young 30 year old who had read loads of books, could tell you exactly how big the baby was compared to like fruit and vegetables. Had, could spell uterus, um, had learned all about dilation, had gone to breastfeeding workshops when I was pregnant and all those things, but I had never really been prepared for the brutal reality of what childbirth would or could be like or what impact it might have. So you did all the right things, preparing yourself throughout pregnancy and, and studying up and getting all the knowledge that you needed to have what you, you know, believed would be a easy, normal birth. And That's it didn't turn out that way. And what you have been dealing with since then is an issue of what you called post-birth incontinence. Can you tell us a little bit about how many women experience this? Because it's a very um, sort of taboo topic and people don't really like to talk about it. And you've done a marvelous job of bringing it into light through your very, very funny and very well-written book. Um, the statistics are incredible and quite shocking. So around one in three women who's had a baby will wet herself. Um, and I mean, that's just we. The figures around bowel incontinence are massive too. I think in the UK it's around one in ten. We sweep them under the carpet completely and don't talk about them because they're embarrassing. And we also write it off as something that happens to old women or old people. So we end up in this funny situation with incontinence where we don't actually talk about the reality at all. And I think it can therefore be un unnervingly shocking for young mums, particularly if they emerge from childbirth and they're leaking. I mean, even with what happened to me, I only had what in the UK you would call a second degree tear, but I was leaking quite badly right from the start. So when I went home, um, during the first few weeks where I was quite unwell because I had several postpartum hemorrhages after my first birth. I kept saying to people, I think I'm weeing, I think I'm leaking. And they were saying, well, everybody leaks a bit. Don't worry about it. That's quite normal. And so that's the kind of people trying to be kind. So it's not about, nobody's treated me badly at that point in my story, but they were minimizing it. And it was only sort of two or three months later when I finally was in front of a consultant who was trying to sort of sign me off after all these hemorrhages. And he was like, so she was sitting looking at me and she's like, what do you mean everything makes you wee and nothing makes you wee? What do you mean? And when I explained it and I gave her a list of things that made me leak urine, like 
standing up or carrying my baby or walking up the stairs or running or pushing a pram and those sorts of things she was like okay that is a step beyond what most people are managing and so that was the first time I had a referral for physio but I think we tell women to sort of get on with it and we sort of there's also this sort of veneer around women who've had babies isn't it that we should just kind of not make a fuss because we've had a baby you can't complain if your childbirth leaves you really depressed if you're both alive at the end of it and I think well you're kind of getting used to having your boobs out and everybody's been looking at you when you were in labour and all that sort of stuff so I was very intimate with my close women friends who I'd met who had little babies at the same time but in consequence you step quite far isn't it for a new friendship you know all that's really brought us together at that point was that we all lived in the same postal code area of the UK and wanted to have a baby and were pregnant at the same time and then we did make friends but it's a very hard thing to say to someone who you've not met recently you know you've only just met you know and how much are you weighing like is it just a little bit when you sneeze or do you soak through your jeans you can't do that because we haven't normalized the conversation which means that I think I sound unusual because I had, I was quite badly incontinent after one baby at the age of 30, but I'm not sure I am. And what I certainly am not is alone in having found incontinent complicated and difficult. The only thing that's unusual about me is that I got help quickly. In the UK, it often takes women up to seven years to get help if they leak urine. It can take people decades. Since I wrote a book about it, since, since PMSL came out, um, I have to be careful because I end up crying when I'm talking about it. Like one of the first times I spoke about the book um, on a webcast, somebody was talking and she said that she had bought my book and she was going to go back to her GP who'd been initially a bit dismissive about her being incontinent. And she said 40 years ago. So she had been incontinent for 40 years. Wow. It's not uncommon to see throughout this industry in the postpartum phase where women aren't they simply aren't taken seriously. So many times women just don't speak up. They're not willing to talk about it. And then when you find that courageous few who do speak up, sometimes they're telling an obstetrician they aren't feeling right emotionally. They're anxious. They're not sleeping. They think they're depressed. And almost every time we've heard about this, the response from the obstetrician is, the baby blues, you'll get over it. Then she walks out thinking, there's something wrong with me. And you know, we had, we had a woman in our last postpartum support group who shared with everyone she had an anal fissure every time she had a bowel movement she bled and reopened up and I thought god bless you for sharing this with people because suddenly everyone had their own version of their own struggles and story to share and we're given this impression not only before we get pregnant but even during pregnancy we that we have to not only feel well and feel grateful but we have to look beautiful How can anyone handle that postpartum phase with all of this lack of talking, lack of sharing, and pressure to look a certain way? I mean, yeah, don't get me. It's really funny. There's like one or two photographs when my son was first born, the first one, and my husband really excitedly put a photo up. And the photograph, people emailed me afterwards to say that there was part of my thigh covered in blood in the photograph. So this sort of perfect picture of mum and baby that you get on social media when someone's given birth had this kind of bloody thigh on the side. And we removed it. But it's funny, it's like you say, actually, that's the reality. And I think people don't talk about it. Right. Keep it, keep it clean. Keep it pretty. Keep it censored. Don't show what's real. And, and you know, that sets up really unrealistic expectations for you yeah. as a first-time mum, doesn't it? Because you then think, what? Like, hang on, like, I'm bloodshot here. Like, what's going on? 
I also think it's really interesting what you're saying about and people in, in your group because I found that the minute I started talking about incontinence, people kept coming up to me and telling me their stories. And I always want to be really clear, like it's a huge privilege actually that women have come and told me these stories. And sometimes oh, yeah. I realise during the story, I'm the first person they have ever told. I think you don't have to be me. You don't have to tell jokes. You don't have to write a book with the word piss on the cover and a big yellow wee drop and tell everyone. But you should know, because I did that, that you are not alone. And you are not alone in physiological terms. So you're not the only woman. Lots of women suffer from it. As we all grow older in the perimenopause, in the menopause, more and more women become incontinent. But A, it can be significantly helped if not cured, almost all urinary incontinence. Not all of it. Sometimes people will have a spinal issue or whatever, but almost always it can be helped or cured. And two, you don't have to tell anyone except for who might be able to help you. I'm not saying that we have to walk around saying our most shameful secrets in public. I'm saying that it's okay if it feels awful and you can get some help because you're not going to be the first woman who said anything. The second thing that you've brought up though, and that I do hear a lot as well, is about people being dismissed. And I don't quite know what the answer is to that globally about women talking about childbirth injuries, postpartum mental health, and being completely diminished about it. And I, I think for that, some of us do need to shout quite loud. You give permission to other people when you do that. Yeah, I think you really do. And I think people need that. It's like an invitation. And, and we sort of know that, don't we? But I, I think, especially with incontinence, because one of the other things with incontinence, because people don't talk about it, is that, for example, I had a doctor being very shocked when I explained to him that because my level of urinary, so we incontinence, was so extreme or bad, I quite often had spare clothes in my handbag. I had to change my clothes at work more than once. I was very quick at, like, washing a pair of knickers out, you know, you need to be wearing black tights or leggings or black trousers, all that sort of stuff. Changes what shoes you can wear because you're more likely to leak if you run in certain shoes because of, or I was, you know, and I found I was modifying my whole life. Hmm. Lots of women are and sometimes in ways that are really significant, really bad, like they're not exercising. And so they're putting on weight. I definitely did that because I didn't want to go running. I didn't want to risk wetting myself. And then when later on so I had some surgery and I had some physiotherapy physiotherapy first obviously and nobody talks about like what effort it is to get out of the house and do your job and get home and collect the kids from play school or whatever um and those seem like weird stories but they're not loads of people are doing that all the time especially women I'm very curious what your experience was like with the various care providers. Um, how many people did you have to go to before you finally felt that you were heard and understood and actually successfully treated? So it was, it was quite an interesting one. So I, um, I've had a lot of good care. I've had a couple of people be a bit dismissive. Um, and I've had a couple of people try to be destigmatizing. people saying, don't be embarrassed. And it's like, I am embarrassed. Mm -hmm. I'm about to defecate. It's like saying, calm down, calm down. Like, doesn't work. <laughs> no, well, or even things like, um, don't worry, I've seen it all before. And I think, well, you haven't seen mine. Mm -hmm. Like, right. 
Down to Birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sits bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E.com, and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. I had this incredible confidence nurse who was just brilliant, and she knew how to do things like this. I would ask her something and then cry, and she would say, like, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to go and find out. And she knew when to look at me and when to like look away. She knew when to leave me on my own. She was absolutely fantastic. And I think I wouldn't have survived it without her. And I, but I also, my surgeon was great. In fact, his reaction really fascinated me. And he just was incredulous that I had lived a life for five or six years when leaking urine as badly as I was leaking it. Because he showed me, we did a test where he literally filled my bladder and then they make you do things to see when it leaks. And it's sort of a horror set piece in the book because. I write it very much from my point of view. I just didn't know what the hell was going on. And, and I kind of went for this test that sounded quite interesting and ended up sort of tied to a bed, standing up, weighing in front of about 12 people, including all these students whose name I didn't know and all this sort of stuff. It was really scary. But also sort of in its own way, sort of oddly hilarious as well. I mean, how weird is that? And it's full of these gruesome details, like this lovely confidence nurse saying, oh, just take your, sh- your socks off, darling, because it's so... And I was like, why do I have to take... Oh, God, I have to take my socks off because I'm be standing up and weighing all over my feet. And so, yeah. But wow. by doing that and putting my bladder on a large screen in the corner, he could see how was, much it was leaking. And he was like incredulous that anyone would walk around putting up with this stuff. The original title of PMSL was um, Shame, Broken Fannies and an Everyday Taboo. I think what's interesting about incontinence is that it's really common and these stories are common. They're just silent. And I, I really thought with that consultant, just as I've thought some of the healthcare providers, you, I've had lovely letters and things from doctors and nurses. And some of the doctors, especially obstetricians actually, have said, I can't believe your birth was like that. That was really awful. And with them, I thought, I bet you see 10 women a week who had a birth that was like mine or worse. Yeah. So we're silent, so, so no one talks about it. And like you said, the word permission, I think, is really important because for right or wrong, that's the truth. Women feel they need permission, permission to complain. I mean, men, men by and large, don't feel like they need permission to complain. Women do. Permission to make a fuss. Because I always think, why is that negative? It's okay to make a fuss. It's like, why is it attention-seeking? If you are poorly, then you need attention paying to you. Attention-seeking is the appropriate response. Right. Yeah, right. We characterise that as an awful way that women behave, don't we, attention-seeker? And I, I can't bear it. And especially women who are pregnant, so they're very vulnerable at that point physically. Um, women who've just had a baby or women with postnatal depression, it's like, for God's sake, give them a break. Like, nobody is making a fuss if they've got postnatal depression and they want some help. That's not making a fuss. That's presenting with an injury that is as frank and obvious as a broken leg 
but unfortunately one that we don't we don't talk about with any kind of kindness we've heard stories of women who tell their own mothers or their own partners that they think they have postpartum depression but they don't use that language so they're saying i just feel so overwhelmed i feel like i can't get a break and on rare occasion we hear where that trusted person says to them i don't understand you wanted to have a baby that point you made earlier about women just expect to to deal with this kind of stuff we expect to deal with periods and postpartum bleeding and you know, sort of, mess, as you said, messy stuff. We, we spend our life with mess in our knickers. Mm. Like that mm -hmm. is the female condition as far as I can tell. And then there's the, um, at the risk of sounding like completely pretentious, there is this kind of awful way that, that we are forced to feel like um, any kind of strength we have is things like multitasking. No, that's not. Multitasking is a result of society giving women too much to do. It, that's got nothing to do with, a, a, that's not an inherent strength of women. It's the only way to function. No, yes, it's a functional, functional part of being a, a contemporary woman quite often. And it drives me mad. I also just think that thing you said, oh, oh you know, well, you wanted to have a baby, didn't you? I mean, seriously, like that is such patient blaming victim. I mean, it's like really... I wanted to have a baby and I said at the end of the book like I talk about what I've learned and I try to be on the whole I want to be optimistic I want to try and make things better but I don't think we should make people who've been sick or who've had terrible births or who have ended up incontinent or whatever their awful had cancer or whatever I don't think we should make them reassure us all that the world's a good place by saying what they learned from it and that they got something great from it because I could have learned every single lesson I learned by not horrible things happening by nice things happening to me and I think we, we do a lot of that and and the extension of that is that like you asked for a baby you wanted this perfect life no I just wanted something normal I had that thought all the time like everyone before me in history has been through this why is this so hard for me who was to say it wasn't hard for all of them or that society hasn't changed in a way that's made it harder for us today when we're so isolated and I think that also, I also I often think about that and I think like when um, people used to say to me women give birth in fields and I remember once saying because I was so depressed I didn't care anymore saying aren't they the ones that don't <laughs> like hang on I mean I mean that right is that the standard exactly and and do we have to yes it's difficult for women now but women before us well there were loads of things so it's like okay then do you want to breastfeed my baby for me then right but also and I know that when we were talking earlier like perhaps I've made them sound really really miserable but also those births were incredible and I remember my first son's birth as being like a miracle and I'm not a religious woman and I felt that um that it was a moment of magic and he was born it was like a magic trick and my bunny was mashed there was blood everywhere there was meconium everywhere which is sticky man and disgusting when it's like sticking all over your legs and all that and at the same time as he was coming out, there was something about the moment, something about pushing him. And I think the amazing thing about childbirth is it's all these things at once. It's, um, it's religious, it's boring, it's meaningless, it's the most meaningful thing, it's funny, it's exhausting, it doesn't make sense, it jumps through time, it's linear, it, it, it's a dream. It's all these things at once. And that's what makes it so amazing and difficult to talk about. Because that's another thing I think we do that 
slightly insidiously blames women for the whole thing. So we say, why did no one tell me? As if it's everybody's fault, but we don't know exactly what childbirth's like. And the reason we don't is because many of us, or many of us don't, is because we've not been there. And I think you probably have to be in a birth room to know what it's like. I mean, and things like, I didn't know this. So when I had my first baby, they said um, she wanted me to look. And I remember having the wherewithal to sort of say, like, I, I think the moment for looking at that part of my anatomy now is gone because it was already deformed by that point. I could feel her breath on my thighs. That's how close she was. And she said, give me your hand. It will help. So I gave her my hand and it did help. And I, I would never have believed you what that would do before he was born, before he existed, to touch his head and he came out. And it was only about three or four years ago when he was about 10 that his head didn't feel the same. So I used to sneak in and touch it and he was asleep. That's me describing a traumatic birth as probably one of the most emotional and meaningful things mm -hmm. that happened to me and something that I will always be grateful for. And that's, I think, why I get so upset when people say that you wanted a baby. Because I think I've never met someone, even with the worst traumatic birth, even with huge hemorrhages, even women who nearly died, who don't have some gratitude for the experience to pretend that complaining or wanting help with other health things is not that that's nonsense but of course they're grateful and and the thing is it doesn't it, it doesn't go away as we uh get past the baby stage and raise children we still have all these challenging moments of, and mixed emotions of you you love this little being more than anything in the world yet you want nothing more than to get rid of them sometimes in moments. <laughs> and imagine if people were always, every time parenting was challenging or anything, you know, we were having a, a difficult moment, people said to us, well, you, you wanted a child. I mean, it's, it's so normal to have those mixed feelings about it. And I think also we, um, it's interesting what you said there, because I think, I've seen women in their 80s and 90s describe childbirth. I didn't write about this in the book, but I, it's something that I find fascinating. Um, so I've seen women that old who, so who gave birth 75 years ago, and they start talking and they sound exactly like I sounded, you know? Absolutely. We relive it and we relive it. Yeah. And, and these people are talking about women like in their 70s or 80s and, and about that sort of moment and yet yeah and yet we sort of derive their experience we we don't talk enough about that either because i don't i i know lots of women who find um the, their children's stuff is very problematic i certainly did for the first four or five years because you know i was in my 30s mid-30s you do not expect to be wearing an adult diaper to bed but you know you don't expect that to be your reality and i found it very conflicting and i never blamed him i never did not for any of it it wasn't about blame but it was true that we were united in this thing that for me was very complicated very complicated to have those two things going on all the time and i just think that's very rarely explored we should be talking about this stuff all our lives but we don't because we should be talking about and seeing and sharing our birth experiences with our sisters and our aunts and friends. And it shouldn't be this, this thing that women only want to share the, the perfect moments of the birth. I felt um, that I had failed at giving birth. And that oh, very common. One more thing that I feel complicates things is when we're pregnant and expecting a baby, 
society and all the well-meaning people around us prepare us to fall in love. And we envision falling in love with the partners we fell in love with. And it's like, oh my gosh, I, I can't wait to feel that high again. And when you're holding your baby, I mean, for me, when I was holding my son in the days and months that followed, my heart was so full. The thought I kept having over and over was, love is not the emotion I am feeling. This is not at all like the love I have felt toward my husband or even toward my brothers or my parents. This love comes with anxiety, anguish. It's not that carefree joy that I think we expect we will feel. It's so heavy. And then on top of it, everything about our lives changed with this baby. Everything that changed from our bodies to our careers to our relationship with our partners all links back to this little person that you would lie down and die for. Like they can wake you up 12 times in a night. And every time you pick them back up in your arms, as delirious as you are, you're like, oh, I get to hold you again. It is the most complex emotion I've ever personally experienced. And I, I, I'm just convinced we haven't created the right word yet to describe what we really feel toward our babies. Love is an inadequate description for me. It's really interesting. So I often say that about PMSL. So it's got politics in it. It's got my personal story. It's got this bigger story of all these other women and stuff. But also people ask me what it's about. Yeah, it's about birth and how we tell stories and uh, yeah, incontinence, but it's also about love. And, and, the, and when you're saying there's not a word for it, in, in the book I talk about a lot about my children as well and what that meant, like you say, that there's not really the word. And then when my son was really young, he said, do you love me? And I said, yes. And he said, like, do you love all of me? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know, you love my hands, my face, and yeah. And he said, do you love the poo in my bum? <laughs> and I thought, yes. And maybe that's what love is. I don't know, you know, I don't know what it is, but in a way, wiping snot off with your, you know, all the, the love and the snot and the shit and the tears that is being a mum. If you enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share a favorite episode or two. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Down to Birth Show or contact us and review show notes at downtobirthshow.com. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. What I didn't expect was you would spend this whole podcast interview tearful. Yes. You know, they like, there is a very, a woman with very deep emotions underneath this delivery of humor that we can all relate to in a safe way. Yeah. 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 I think that's also to do with you two, actually. Cause I think, um, you have a very, uh, you were talking at the beginning, you talked a lot about permission and I think you give permission actually.